so much for coming to the 9 a.m. service. We strategically did that, as John said, so our volunteers could have a place to go to church. And uh, if you are not a volunteer with us yet and you came, thank you because you opened up a seat at the 1030 service where there wasn't any last week. So that was exciting. So please continue to do that. Um, We are in the middle of a three-part series called Redefine. And um, if you're new here this week, you're coming in kind of on part two of like a three-part movie. It's kind of like a trilogy. This is like the second, this is like the sequel of The Lord of the Rings. This is The Two Towers. So if you haven't... um, listen to part one yet or you weren't here last week, make sure to go to SoFloChurch.com and to check out uh, what we talked about last week and what we discussed. You can find it under the media section on SoFloChurch.com. But one of the things that we talked about last week was how to redefine the message, that somewhere along the way that churches kind of got the message wrong of Jesus, that it became this movement that was about us and what we would do more than about expressing our love to God through our love for other people. So Jesus actually talked about how we show love to God is actually by loving our neighbor as ourselves. Paul, actually, a guy, Paul, actually confirmed this in the book of Galatians when he said, this is really cool, this was powerful to us, the only thing that counts, that's right, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And we said, what would our city look like? What would our town look like? What would our state look like? What would our country look like if just a few of us here at downtown Harbor Church at DHC started to get this right for the first time? So that was our battle cry last week, that we really wanted to figure out what we could do to express our faith through love. And today we're going to talk about some practical ways to do that right where you're at. But let me talk about my experience with church right now. Because I've been in church for a long time. In fact, I've been in church since I was a very, very, very young kid. I grew up in church. I would say from the day that I was born until now, I have been a part of churches. And when I was a young kid, even as I was observing what was going on, and I went to church with my parents, and I saw what was going on, there was something inside of me that said, this is how it's supposed to be? Is this really how it's supposed to be done? I didn't know what it was supposed to be like, but there was this thing inside of me that said, I don't know what it's supposed to be like, but I don't think it's supposed to be like this. And then, as I grew up into an adult, I got involved in the church, and I started to volunteer in the church, and I started to get involved more and more, and actually went on staff at a church, and my worst fears were kind of realized. I said, those fears that were deep down in me as I was a kid, like, this can't be how it was supposed to be, were confirmed as an adult as I got more involved in churches. I said, this can't be everything. And I thought that because what we were doing in church was pretty much the exact opposite of the message of Jesus. What we were doing in church was not what Jesus told us to do. We weren't focused on loving our neighbors as ourselves and making our community a better place. Here's what we were focused on, and this just rattled my heart to the core. In church, we were focused on us. We were super focused on us. A group of us came into a building and we kind of sat and came to a service together and we would do things together and we would create events together and we would do Bible studies together and we would come together and hang out and this is what we were focused on. We were focused on us and in reality that's not bad at its core. It's good to have friends. It's good to have a good church experience but what happened over the course of time is we became obsessed with us. So today's message is redefined the vertical. When we say the word vertical, we actually mean the way that you kind of look up to God vertically, how you actually aim to please God in your life or how you know God 
better. Because historically in churches, we have been told that there are specific ways that you, if you're a Christian, should show love to God. And if you're not a Christian and you're just here today trying to figure this all out, I'm just going to tell you, give you a little insight of what churches have told people who come to them a long time, what they should be doing to get to know God better or to please Him better. And we're going to actually use the term spiritual disciplines to describe these things. Spiritual disciplines. These are things that churches have said to people, you need to be doing this, and if you do this, then you're going to please God, you're going to have a better life with God, you're going to know God more. So here's the first one. It's prayer. We teach people that when you pray, when you kind of go into a place, whether it's silent and you do it in your own heart or your own mind, or it's audible or it's with a group of people, that the more time you spend in this, that that's better for you, that you will be pleasing God more the more time you spend in this, and in reality, you will have a better life because you have spent more time doing this. Let me tell you about another thing that we historically as a church have encouraged people to do. It's this. It's attending church. We've said to people, you need to be here. And by the way, these are not bad things. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But we've said to people, you need to be in church. We've said over and over, you need to be in church. And so much, we've become so obsessed with this that we've created Sunday morning services, Sunday night services, Wednesday night services, Tuesday night Bible study, Thursday morning women's study, Friday night men's study, all of the above. We've said, yes, come into church. And when you do, it's going to please God more. And you're going to be better the more time you spend inside the walls of these buildings. Daily reading of the scripture. We've said that over the course of time, the more time that you spend reading the scriptures, the more that you time, spend that you time studying the scriptures, that you will actually see new things, engage in new ways, and different things will be revealed to you that may not have been revealed to you before. However, if you do this, then you're going to be pleasing to God. It's expressing your faith to God. You're going to know him more. And I've got to tell you, the last one is really serious. The last one is really serious because... I have been told over the course of time that if you do not execute this last one, that your life is in trouble. In fact, I've been told over the course of time that if you don't exercise this last spiritual discipline, that you actually might be on a train directly straight, right on I-95 straight to hell. Okay, so that's important. Okay, if you don't do this last one, you're in trouble and you better execute this or the future is not necessarily bright for you. And here it is, listening to church music in the car, okay? Now, here's what I want to tell you. I do these things. These are good things. You should do these things. There is nothing wrong with things that I've just said, okay? Especially listening to church music in the car, because I actually do that. It's kind of funny. John, you saw him, the executive director. He does not do that. And when I do that, and I tell him, I said, man, I was really just praising the Lord on the way in. And he goes, ooh, you're spiritual today. I said, yeah. So, but those are good things. Those are not bad things. You should do those things. The problem is, is that who really benefits from doing those things? Who benefits from all of those things that we're doing? Us. We are the people who receive the benefit from those things. When we pray, we spend time with God and it kind of fills us up. When we attend church, we come in here and we leave and it kind of fills us up. And then when we uh, read the scriptures, we come in here and we leave and it fills us up. That's what we do. We are the ones who are directly benefiting from those activities, those spiritual disciplines. And hear me out on this. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with that. 
Those are good. The problem with it is, over the course of time and throughout the course of church history, it has caused us to be obsessed with us. It has caused us to come into churches and say, I can't be a part of it because I don't agree that you don't pray enough. I don't want to be a part of this church because it's not open enough. I don't want to be a part of a church that doesn't have a daily Bible reading plan that recycles annually. Those ideas and those mentalities all are about us. And the problem with that is that is that direct opposite of the message of Jesus. Jesus' message was never about him, even though he spent time doing the spiritual disciplines that I just described to you. Jesus spent time praying. Jesus spent time in the text. Jesus spent time with other people in, in churches. They weren't called churches back then, but Jesus did those things. But here is what Jesus said, and it's a review of last week, but it's so important for us to go back to it because here is what he said. Well, one of the teachers of the religious law, those are the Jewish folks that we were speaking of last week who had to follow all of the laws to stay in line with God, was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen now, O Israel, the Lord our God is one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then Jesus flipped the lid on everything they knew. He said, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. No other commandment is greater than these. Here's the point. Too many of us, too many people who've been around church for a long time, too many people who think that these are everything, we stop here. We pray, we attend church, we daily read the Bible, we might listen to music in the car, but we have forgotten the art of loving our neighbor as ourselves. And in reality, we don't even know how to do it. We've forgotten it because we've become so obsessed with this. And when you spend too much time doing this, it's hard to figure out how to do this. Mind you, these are good things. Do them. But when we do them to the level that we become obsessed with them, we become obsessed with us. So, if loving God by loving your neighbor is so important, how do we do it? Because here's the truth about most of us when we hear that verse. We tend to think of our neighbor as somebody who we might help along the side of the road. Or we might tend to think of our neighbor as the person next door. Or we might tend to think of our neighbor as somebody who has been affected by a natural disaster, an earthquake, a tsunami, a hurricane. And for those very brief moments, we want to help, we want to engage because our heart is inspired. But Jesus said, no, 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 don't just do that. Don't just do the things that I just talked about. Honor and love your neighbor always. So what does that mean? Very practically, in our world today, what does that look like? Now I'm going to make some pretty bold statements here. And if you're tuning in and you're taking notes or you're doing whatever you're doing, now is the time to just focus because this is what's going to help you tomorrow. This is what's going to help you engage around you this week in your community. And here's the first one. If you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, you have to understand something. And here's the first thing. How you work is as important as how you pray. How you work is as important as how you pray. All of us in the room, at some level, engage with work in one way or another. 
whether it's at your house, whether you are a professional and you oversee people and you are a boss, maybe you are a manager of some sort, maybe you are an employee and you report to someone, all of us in some way, even if we do stuff from home or we're a stay-at-home mom or dad or whatever we do, we work at some level. And here's what we've seen over the course of time. We've seen people cut corners at work. We've seen people be horrible bosses and treat their employees like dirt, paying themselves high exorbitant salaries and treating everybody else like they don't matter. We've seen people treat people who are underneath them poorly. We have seen employees not honor their boss. We have seen people hide screens or hide windows on their computer screen that shouldn't be there. And here is the point. How you treat people in your work environment matters because they are your neighbors too. How you treat people when you work matters. It matters so much because you interact with them so much. But here's the truth about some of us. Some of us are creeps at work and then go home and pray and think it's okay. Some of us go to work and we go, I'm not going to get my full effort today. I'm going to treat that person like they don't matter because I don't like them. I can't stand my boss, so I'm not doing that. But you know what? It's okay because God will forgive me. And I prayed this morning. You know, I prayed longer than five minutes. How spiritual am I? How you work is as important as how you pray. What I love so much about downtown Harbor Church is we have people from all over the fields in our, in, in our area that are involved with us, whether it's education or healthcare or the airline industry. We've met so many people in the last two weeks who are engaged with us, and I want to say to all of them, how you work is as important as how you pray. And let me tell you why I believe that. Before Jesus died, he took his disciples into a room and he said, I'm going to do something for you, and it might be a little weird, but I'm going to do it anyway. He goes, I'm going to wash your feet. And the disciples go, no, Jesus, you're, you're God's son. You, what do you mean you're going to wash our feet? See, back in those times, they didn't have pedicures, okay? There was no high-tech salon on Sunrise Boulevard for them to visit before this happened. Feet were nasty and smelly and sweaty and dirty. And when you as a person knelt down to wash someone's feet, you were saying to them, I am going to serve you. It's the lowest of the low. I am going to do anything that you ask me to do. And the most amazing thing about this is not that Jesus washed their feet. That wasn't even the most amazing thing. The most amazing thing was after he was done, he looked at his disciples and he goes, now you go do this for other people. This is how you should treat other people. I would say the same to you. As you work, it's important. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. It's as important as how you pray. Praying is also important. But don't negate the fact that this is important too. Here's the next one, which I think is super, super just relevant to where we are on a daily basis today. Resolving conflict with someone is as important as attending church. Resolving conflict with someone is as important as attending church. For years and years and years, people have come into the doors of these buildings, these churches, and they've said, you know what, I'm just going to come in here and because I attend church and because I come to this space and I interact with these people here, that all is well and I can just lead the rest of my life side of this place. So when I come in here, all can be well and all can be good. And Jesus said, oh, he said, absolutely not. He said, if you think that you can come in here and things aren't right out there, he said, leave here and go make it right, then come back. Now, I'm not done with the message, so please don't get up today, okay? 
But next, before next week, but listen to what he said. He said in Matthew chapter 5, he was giving one of his most famous, famous kind of speeches to people. It was amazing. And he said, so, if you are presenting a sacrifice, because remember, that's what the ancient Jews did. They presented sacrifices at the altar in the temple. That would have been like their building where they were. And you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. He said, if you have a beef with someone or someone has a beef with you, before you dare come in here, you go make that right because making it right with that person is just as important as it is to come in here. The truth about most of us is that you probably have someone in mind right now you might even have a face, a name, somebody that you go, you know what, I need to go and make something right with this person. And I would just challenge you, do that. Make it right. That is loving your neighbor as yourself. That is showing love to God by loving someone else. And Jesus was so clear. Don't come in here and be all quote-unquote holy and think that you are special. If you have conflict with people out there, go Make it right. And the third one, which is really, really important. Putting your spouse first is as important as reading the Scriptures daily. Now, some of you aren't married in the room. That's okay. Some of you don't work either, but you still listen to that and then you might find something meaningful now. Here's the point. If you are married or you're in a relationship, Jesus was pretty clear about what you're to do for your spouse. You're to equally Lay down your life for each other. But here's something that we've seen. We've seen that a lot of marriages are a complete disaster. We've seen that a lot of marriages don't work, don't last. People don't fight for them. They're not concerned with their husband or wife's opinion about what's going on. But they go and they will read the Scriptures daily. And then they would justify it by saying, you know what? My marriage is in the tank. My marriage is in the can. It doesn't matter how good or not good that is because look at me how often and how much I spend time with God. Look at me. Look how much Scripture I've read this year. And I have to tell you something. Your spouse is your neighbor. And we don't think of it that way. We tend to think of the marriage relationship as different. But your spouse is your neighbor. And for some of you in the room who aren't married, you might be someday again. And I'll tell you this, this principle transcends time. It transcends, transcends everything. Putting your spouse first is as important as reading the Scriptures daily. If your spouse is a doormat because you want to tout how spiritual you are by just reading the Scriptures, I will tell you that is backwards. It's backwards. I didn't tell you it was backwards. Jesus did. I'm just quoting him. But it's backwards. Putting your spouse first daily is as important as reading the Scriptures. And I've got to tell you something. I don't like this. And mine's in the room. I would rather just get out of it and just read the Bible and go, okay, I'm good. But it's not what he tells us to do. Putting your spouse first is as important as reading the Scriptures daily. Those three things that we kind of just came up with are three things that can help you on a day-in, day-out basis love your neighbor as 
yourself. So I want to change gears for a second. I want to change gears and I want to ask you a question. What was your most spiritual moment? If you're not a Christian in the room and this doesn't apply to you and you're like, I'm not a spiritual person, but I'm coming to DHC and I'm just excited to be here, you're off the hook. But if you are a Christian in the room, I want you to think for a second. What was your most spiritual moment? More than likely, it involves one of these things. It involves one of those things. Maybe, maybe you had a worship service inside of a church where you were like, uh, you know, gosh, the music today was just unbelievable and the, and the worship time where we sang a song to God and my heart was moved in a different way. Maybe you attended a camp, whether it was a kid's camp or a teenage camp or an adult camp or a Joyce Meyer women's study or a men's retreat and you've just said, I feel God, this is it. This is my most spiritual moment. This is where I'm supposed to be. Maybe for you, it was attending a Bible study when you got into a room with a group of people and you were like, we're going to dive into this thing and we're going to be spiritual and God's going to speak to us and fill us up. And maybe, maybe for you, it was just one of those moments when you were talking with somebody else and you go, something that they said just welled my heart up. The fact of the matter is, is that most of our most spiritual moments are all about us. They're all about something that happened to us. And don't misunderstand this. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. It's just not the main thing. Our most spiritual moments generally revolve around something that happens inside our hearts, inside our minds, inside our church, with our people. It's all about us. I saw you might be thinking today, now Adam, hold on a second. I, I don't, I'm confused because you're saying that the way that we show love to God vertically, historically, has been these things, but are you saying these don't matter anymore? No, it's not what I'm saying. Even Jesus wouldn't say they don't matter. He did all of these things. I, Adam, I, I, feel like, I feel like you're saying it's all about people. I feel like Jesus, you're saying that Jesus said it was about your neighbor as yourself and it's all about people. Is, is, is that what you're saying? Jesus, in the book of Matthew, was telling a parable. Now, a parable is a made-up story, a parable that is a story that is not true. Jesus told stories that were parables so that he could prove a point, that he could give an example, that he could make people think in a way that they'd never thought before. And in this parable, it was actually the final judgment of man. That's what the name of the parable was. And there was a king in the parable. And we think that when Jesus was talking about the king, he was talking about himself. Jesus was talking about himself. God in the flesh. And I want to read this to you. I want you to look at the screen and follow along with me. This is what he said. This is Jesus talking. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Now let me set the scene for you. Around Jesus are kind of like these group of people who are waiting for their inheritance and they're about to get it. They're about to be closest to him, closest to the king. And this is what he says. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And now, this is not biblical, what I'm going to say to you, but I'm just imagining this scene happening. So this is what I'm kind of imagining. I imagine people standing around going, you give me something to drink. I didn't give him something to drink, did you? Did you give him something to eat? I don't remember. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Did he come to your house because he didn't come to mine? 
naked and you clothed me. Jesus was naked? Was he the guy they picked up on Broward? I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Jesus was in jail. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? We didn't do any of that. What are you talking about? Are you off your rocker? And then Jesus said, or they said, when did you see the sick or in prison and when did we come to you? The king, and Jesus is talking about the king. He's talking about himself. He said, the king will answer and say to them, don't miss this, this is, this is everything. Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Loving our neighbor as ourself, showing love to God by showing love to other people, you did it to me. This next phrase, I didn't come up with a guy by the name of Andy Stanley came up with it, but it was super important and it was so important that I wanted to tell it to you today. This is what he said and I loved it. He said, your devotion to God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by your love for others. Not just this. This isn't bad, but when you miss this, this isn't all that it could be. Your love or your devotion to God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by your love for others. Here's the point. If you are a Jesus follower in the room, and that means at some point in time in your life, if you have kind of said yes to Jesus, it means if you have said yes to him, some of you may have prayed a prayer and invited him in. Some of you may have just had a moment where you said, I'm going to turn and pivot my life. And yes, I believe that Jesus is who he said that he was. And yes, I'm going to follow his teachings. And yes, I'm going to follow after him and live as he tells me to live. Here's the point. Jesus said, if you believe any of that, I have already paid the price vertically. I have already shown all the love to God on your behalf that you need to show if you believe in me. So Jesus said, you and God are fine. If you believe in me and you follow my ways, you and God are fine. I've fulfilled the vertical. And so I believe that Jesus, if he were there here today saying to us, he would go, anybody who hears that and understands that and believes that, stop looking up so much and start looking around. Looking up isn't bad. You should look up. But when all you do is look up, you miss everything that's around you. And at Downtown Harbor Church, we want to redefine the vertical because the vertical is measured by the horizontal. The vertical is measured by the horizontal. If we get this right, everything changes. If we get this right, everything is different. If we get this right, your work environments will be radically different. That starts with you. If we get this right, conflict in your life will be different. Families will be restored. Wounds will be healed. Things will be as they were supposed 
to be. If we get this right. And if we get this right, marriages will last. Husbands and wives will love each other in a more radical way. And it will change the perception of a declining trend in our country and in the world about the most special relationship that you could have in this marriage. If we get this right. If we get this right, can you imagine what our city would be like? Can you imagine what walking on the streets would be like? Can you imagine what going to work and dealing with someone that you necessarily don't agree with and dealing with your spouse would be like? Fort Lauderdale will be changed if we understand that Jesus is already taking care of this. And now if we believe that, it's time for us to stop doing this so much and start looking around. It changes it all. At Downtown Harbor Church, we want to redefine the vertical because the vertical is measured by horizontal. Let's pray. God, thanks for just everything that you have done, your word. Thanks so much that you have inspired us to want to look around. Thank you for how clear you are, God. Thank you for everything that you've given us as it relates to you and how we are to show love to our city. Father, we are on just the verge of just doing something so cool here at downtown harbor and god i people are engaging with us they're coming in the doors they're 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 excited about this and i think that they're excited about it because at the core of what we're doing it is going back to your original pure message that inspired all those people so many years ago help us to go back help us to redefine help us to redefine by actually going back to what you told us to do God, we love you and we thank you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Close, I can taste this. I feel the love alone erases. And I'm back to the basics. I figured it's time to face this. Time to take my own advice. Love alone is worth the fight. Love alone is worth the fight. And I never thought it'd come to this. But it seems like I'm finally feeling numb to this. Funny thing about a name is You forget what the reason you were playing the game is And it's all an illusion 21st century institution So I'm heading down the open road I know And we find what we're made of Through the open door Is it fear you're afraid of? the fight. Oh, 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 oh. Love alone is worth the fight.